right, you may be seated. Grab a Bible if you have one. If you do not have one, we have some we'd like to get to you. And I'll even tell you the page number it's on. This is one of those days where we're going to be spending a lot of time looking at the verses of the Bible. And uh, so we will be in, uh, in, in the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. Is everybody doing okay? Feliz Cinco de Mayo to you. Uh, I was in Oklahoma this week. Somebody, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, and, uh, and so my friends all live there, and um, most of them have real jobs, and one of them um, has season tickets to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So on Tuesday, when I knew that, that the Rockets were going to be playing the Thunder for game five, I text messaged him, kind of joking, like, hey, man, you got tickets for me. And he said, yeah, I actually was just about to call you. I've got two tickets if you can make your way up here. And so I uh, asked Jeannie, um, prayerfully, if, if she would be okay with me leaving, uh, considering I'd been gone the week before, it was quite a sacrifice for her. And she said, of course. So I went up there, and, uh, and I went to the game. And can I just tell you um, how awesome it was to be there? Because uh, when, we, when we won... Uh, I didn't have to say anything as I was walking out. I mean, I've been to funerals that were more, people were more excited at the end. I mean, people were walking out like, like, like their lives were over. And it, was, it felt so good to be there. And, 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 and I took everything in me not to be just like, in your face, you know. Uh, but I didn't want to be that fan. And then, and then we get um, on my way back on Friday. I was actually there for, I met with a couple of churches while I was there also. And on my way back Friday, somebody text messages me and said, hey, I have two tickets to the Rockets game Friday night. Do you want to go? And I was like, yes, Lord, I hear you. I'm in a season of blessing, and I just receive it. And, uh, and sure enough, Jeannie and I, Jeannie and I went, and uh, David and Cindy were gracious enough to watch our kids till midnight when we got home, and that was more depressing because we lost. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but I hope you're doing good. Uh, it's been a little bit of a crazy morning for me. I've looked forward to being here, but prior to coming this morning, I uh, was at another church, actually one of our sending churches, uh, and, and I was uh, baptizing um, the, the daughter of a family that is uh, kind of connected to our church, but they still attend there because they live out there. And it happens to be uh, Toby Stephen, Toby and Kelly Stevens' uh, niece. And so uh, she wanted to be baptized. And I said, well, let's baptize you at your home church. And so I went down there. And uh, it's incredible. You know, that place is big. And there's, you know, a bazillion people that go there. And, and uh, they had first-time guest parking. And so I felt like a real celebrity. I walk in, and everybody's like, hey, 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 you know, did you come back? I was like, not a chance. And... Um, and then, and then after it's over, I was just reminded about how, what a different world I live in now. Because after it's over, I go from the baptistry, the security there is there to meet me. They walk me to a golf cart, and the golf cart takes me to my car. And so I felt pretty awesome. Just want you to know that. Um, but anyway, so here we are. Uh, so I'm rushing in this morning and excited because God's already doing some stuff. Here we are, and uh, we pick up again on this series that I've been doing called Dirty Little Secrets. And, and, and I want you to know something this morning as we gather and as we worship, that the hard work has already been done. The hard work has already been done. And, and as I was sitting in the back, and I just was thinking about how, um, how hard this feels at times to, 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 to take the gospel into an area of our city which is very hard to the gospel. And uh, I, I don't know that they're angry at Jesus, but they just ignore the, Jesus and the gospel. Um, it feels hard, but I want you to know that the hard work has already been done. There's two kind of big Uh, points here this morning as we look at the story of Samson. The larger point and the larger uh, message of this this story in in Joshua 
uh, sorry, Judges chapter 16 and, and the couple chapters around it, is that um, God's purposes will be accomplished. And he uses imperfect people to accomplish those things. So be encouraged this morning. This is a place where there's a lot of grace. And, and I want you to know that, and we'll see in this story, is that God will accomplish his purposes in the city, among your neighbors, among your coworkers. And you're invited to be a part of that. There's, a, there's a, another kind of message here in the, in the more immediate story, and I want you to get this, and we'll, we'll reference this again at the end, and that is that uh, oftentimes our natural strengths can blind us from our, from our weaknesses. The things that we are naturally good at can blind us from our weaknesses, and we'll see this in the life of this man by the name of Samson. Raise your hand if you've ever heard Samson. Uh, good, four of you. So this ought to be good for most of you. Okay, so Judges chapter 16 uh, is where we're going to start, and, and we're going to actually qu- cover quite a few verses. I'm going to back up and go forward and all that kind of stuff, so try to hang with me if you can. Uh, if you have one of the Bibles we passed out, it's on page 215 is where it is, where we're going to be. So, uh, so Judges chapter 16, the verse says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. I mean, the story's already getting interesting, right? I mean, do you know that the Bible's filled with stories like this? Who is this guy by the name of Samson, we ought to ask? If the, the Bible's going to tell a story about this name, guy named Samson who went into a prostitute, uh, this may be important for us to consider. Well, who is Samson? Well, look back at, at uh, Judges chapter 13. Just, just flip back a couple of pages, and we see the beginning of, uh, of Samson and him coming onto the scene in the story of uh, is, the Israelites. Uh, Look at Judges chapter 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there's something happening in the history of Israel during this time. Uh, Israel has been given the law, which is a list of rules that they're to obey if they want to be counted as righteous. If they disobey them, they're counted as unrighteous. If they uh, obey them, they're blessed. If they disobey them, they suffer punishment. And so they have this rhythm in their history during this period where they would obey for a bit, then they would begin to disobey and worship false gods. And so God would allow their enemies to come in and rule over them. And the people would cry out for help, and God would raise up one from among them called a judge. This is prior to the time of the kings. And so this judge would be one who would lead them in victory as a warrior. And and uh, so here we have Israel. They've been doing evil in the sight of God. And so God is going to do something about this. All right, so look down at verse 4. Or verse 2, I'm sorry. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Mono, uh, Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful not drink uh, a wine or strong drink and eat nothing and clean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So this baby that's going to be born of this woman who was previously barren, uh, his, his name will be Samson. And what's unique about Samson is that he's a Nazarite. Now, we ought to talk just for a moment about this group of people called the Nazarites. Typically, um, 
Nazarites were men or women who chose to live by these more strict standards. And they did things like they chose to not drink wine. In fact, they wouldn't even drink, eat the grapes or the skin of the grapes. They were very conservative in that way. They, they chose to avoid at all costs any kind of dead animals. Uh, they, they would not cut their hair. So you would recognize them by the fact that they did not cut their hair. Their hair must have gotten quite nappy, I think. Um, now, for, for every Nazarite, uh, other than Samson and Samuel, uh, it was voluntary. So they chose to do it. They chose to live in this way, to be set apart in this way. The word Nazarite comes from Nazir, which means to separate or to, to set apart. Um, and it was typically for a Nazarite, it was for a limited period of time. So what's unique about Samson and the why I make a point of it is that, is that Samson is told, or Samson's mom is told by God that this baby will be a Nazarite from birth. In fact, she can't even consume wine during her pregnancy. And, and she's told not to cut his hair. And so he's born a Nazarite. God sets him apart for his life for a special purpose. Now, this is really, really, really unique, right? I mean, we believe God has purposes for everybody, has a purpose for everybody's life, but some people have a special kind of calling on their life, and, and Samson was one of those. And so here is this baby uh, that grows to be a man. His name is Samson. And we, we know that he has a special connection to God. And we see throughout his life these moments where the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. It sounds really awesome, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't you like to be able to recognize those moments in your own life? It's like, I got into a fight and I was losing, but then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon me and I defeated my enemy and everyone around, you know? And this is kind of the way it was for Samson. He was, he was known to be someone that was incredibly strong. Look there in chapter 13, verse 24. It talks about his birth. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in these places. Now, Samson grew up. His strategy was to defeating the Philistines was he actually was going to find a wife from among the Philistines to get closer to them. So he finds a wife among the Philistines, and, and some good things happen in his life, but there's also quite a bit of conflict in his life. One time he's with his parents and he's on his way down to Timnah, which is a region that's, um, that many of the Philistines are. And look in uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 5. Incredible story here. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Remember, I told you that there are these moments where the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. Here's one of them. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. So if you don't know how he tore it in pieces, just think about how you know one tears up a young goat, right? It's like that, all right? Draw that reference from your own personal life. So he, 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 he battles this lion and wins. He's incredibly incredibly strong. Now we begin to see that Samson, although his hair was long, he understood that God had set him apart for something special. He rebelled against that calling at times. For instance, um, 
as he left that dead lion and, and another time came back just a few verses later, we see that, that the, he comes upon the lion, notices that, there is, that some bees have made the carcass of the lion a place to, to store their honey. And so he goes up to the carcass of the lion, he scrapes out the honey, he eats it, and he feeds some to his family. Now, this doesn't sound all that bad, except for he's a Nazarite. And one of the parts of being a Nazarite is he's not supposed to be, go around dead animals, right? So we see early on in his life that he starts to rebel against God's purpose for him. But God continues to be with him. Look at chapter 14, verse 19. Here we have this this moment where he battles against 30 men. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. And he had been deceived, which is why he got upset, and he went down and struck down 30 men. I mean, he defeated 30 men. Then look in chapter 15, just a few verses below. He got angry at the Philistines because uh, they gave his father-in-law, gave his wife to his best man. And his father-in-law did it because um, he thought that Samson was so mad at them that he wasn't going to come back. Well, Samson obviously was going to come back because when he came back and asked for his wife and was told that she had been given to uh, his best man, uh, sounds like a reality TV show, right? Um, he, he got very angry. So he's going to do something to really hurt the Philistines. So look here in chapter 15, verse 4. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the staining grain of the Philistines and set, set fire to the stacked grain and the staining grain as well as the olive orchards. So the harvest was ruined. He hurt the Philistines. But this is an incredible feat of strength, right? Capture 300 foxes, tie them tail to tail, put a torch in between their tails, light it on fire, and then these foxes are, of course, uh, panicking and running through uh, the orchard and destroying all that the Philistines had worked hard to get the prior season. He was a man of incredible strength, but it appears that he's got a temper. He's got a weakness, right? Something about him is, um, seems easily, uh, he seems ag- easily agitated. Uh, of course, I- I'll back up here. If I came home from a trip and found out that my wife had been given to my best man at my wedding, I'd probably be upset too. So maybe in that sense, he's, he's justified. But he continues to do these things. Look here in uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 14. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire so he's been captured at this point. The men of Judah, his, his own people, have given him up to the Philistines. But he does something about it. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and took it, which is significant, right, because he's touching a dead animal. And with it, he struck 1,000 men. And not only did he strike 1,000 men, he comes up with a palm. Here's the palm. Beautiful, really. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heap, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. That might even be a haiku. (laughs) Samson is incredibly strong, and it seems as if God has a purpose for his life. But it's interesting to notice that in the midst of God taking him towards something, which is his life purpose of delivering Israel from from the punishing Philistines, 
in the midst of all of that, he seems to rebel against his purpose. I wonder how many Christians do that. I wonder how many of us really think about, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Get a sense of what God wants us to do with our life, begin moving towards that thing, and then when it becomes difficult or uncomfortable or requires sacrifice, we begin to rebel against it. Well, Samson is special to God. God has a purpose for his life. In, in the Old Testament, something that you should know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit isn't given to everyone. The Holy Spirit is given to certain people at certain times for certain reasons. So the fact that Samson had the Spirit of the Lord come upon him in this way meant he was really extra special to God. Now, in the New Testament, after Christ, all those that are in Christ receive the Holy Spirit. So if you're in here and you've repented of your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're connected to God through this part of God called the Holy Spirit. It dwells within you or to be filled up with it. So you have the same kind of power maybe even Samson did, which is incredible to think about. But in the life of Samson, when the Spirit of God came on him, he was able to do mighty things. And look here in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 20. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistine 20 years. So the, Israel began to see him as someone that was special to God. Not only did he set himself apart as a Nazarite with long hair, but he was special. God had a purpose for him. But Israel was still enslaved, in a way, to the Philistines during the time that uh, Samuel was a judge. The Philistines were still harsh um, for him. And so we pick up in chapter 16 in this incredible life that's marked by strength and weakness. We see this turning point in the story. And let me tell you where it ends Samson dies. But we must read the beginning. Look at chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Now, I imagine you can pick up on the fact that the Nazarites are not supposed to go to prostitutes. While he's there, the Philistines uh, find out that he's there, and they're going to attack him, but he escapes. And then in chapter, or verse 4 of the same chapter, chapter 16, a woman by the name of Delilah enters. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, to Delilah, see, Samson's falling in love with her. The lords of the Philistines come up to her and say to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound and that one could do to subdue you. So what's about to happen is Samson is about to tell her three different ways that he can be subdued, that are lies. He doesn't want to tell her where the source of his strength is. Where is the source of his strength? With the Lord. The Lord had given him strength. He only is strong when the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. A sign of that special relationship with God is the length of his hair. He was a Nazarite, set apart for a special purpose. But here, Samson is in love with Delilah, so he's trying to uh, tell her just enough to get her to quit bugging him because he wants to be in love with her. He wants to have a relationship with her, obviously. So the first thing he says is, if you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dry, then I shall become weakened and like other men. So she does it. She she binds him in this way, and then she yells yells at him these words. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. Now, this is incredible because this is a phrase she's going to use three times. Clearly, 
Samson is blinded to his weakness. His natural strength blinds him to his weakness. And what we're about to see is that maybe, just maybe, he was so confident in his strength, his natural strength, that he ignored the obvious. And that is that Delilah was trying to trap him so that the Philistines could kill him. How about you? What is a natural strength for you? Are you real smart? Are you real good looking? Are you charismatic? Do you have a way with words? Are you good in business? What's a natural strength for you? Are you real strong? Are you real athletic? What are you naturally good at that you might rely on too much? What natural strength do you have that could blind you from your weakness? Well, the first attempt by Delilah to trap him didn't work, and so she keeps bugging him. The second one, he says, uh, well, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like other men. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke through those ropes. A third time, Delilah says to Samson, come on, Samson, don't you love me? Tell me where your strength lies. He says, okay, if you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. He comes a little bit closer to telling him, telling her the source of his strength, which is represented by the length of his hair. He was a Nazarite, special to God. So he does this, or Delilah does this while he sleeps, and then she yells to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. In other words, you are about to die. Ha ha, I tricked you. And Samson does not allow this to defeat him. But she pressed him. Some of you can identify this. Look at verse 16. This is a verse you might want to put in your kitchen. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. She was nagged. She was nagging him. And finally, blinded, to what was going on. I mean, how could he not know? Each time she yelled, your enemy is upon you. Do you have people like that in your life telling you? Hey, you better watch out for this. The way you talk about women other than your wife, that's a sign that something's not right in here. Oh, no, no, no. You don't have any idea how much I love my wife. Our marriage is so great. Do you ever have anybody tell you, you know, you better watch yourself in business. Sometimes sometimes the way you deal with others in business reveals something's not quite right. You may be a little overconfident. And do you ever have anybody speak into your life in that way? We need those people. That's one value of the church is in those kinds of relationships. You can have people go, you know what? I see this in you. It's a warning. It's a warning. The enemy is upon you. But sometimes what we do, we get a little too confident in our natural strengths. And we ignore the warnings, like Samson did. It's funny, I'm just, just remembering this morning when I was at the church, Sagemont, um, I was very fortunate. I had lots of people there that, that uh, were very kind to me. And, and one man I would see almost every Sunday morning when I was there for the last five years that I was there. He'd come up to me, and he was so encouraging. been in the church a long time. He's an older gentleman. And he would come up to me, and before I left, he pulled me aside, and he said to me, Russell, don't let it go to your head. 
And I said to him, well, I've been very humbled in the last two years. Today, I did. And today, he came up to me and said the same thing. Remember what I told you, Russell. Don't let it go to your head. You know what I, I, I hear that as, even as I'm thinking about this passage? Warning, Russell. Warning. Don't become overconfident. Don't ignore the inclination. I have an inclination to become overconfident in my natural gifts, like all of you. Warning. What is that for you? Is there someone in your life who's saying to you, hey, I see this in you? First of all, if you don't have someone like that in your life, warning, you need somebody like that in your life. You say, well, where do I find it? Well, the best place to find it, honestly, is in an environment like this, and we have groups that meet during the week. You can become a part of one of those where you get to know each other and help each other in this way. If you do have somebody like that in your life that can go, warning, I see this. Beware, the enemy is upon you. Do you give them permission to talk to you like that? Do you have people in your life that you would say, hey, I want you to speak into my life if you see something that's not quite right? Some of you are like, well, my spouse does it without me asking her to. And that would be a good way. But I think also, women, you need a woman, and men, you need a man. Somebody to speak in your life and go, warning, warning. Samson ignored the warnings. And the reason they ignored him is because it's natural strength, which was, I am physically strong. So you can bind me up, you can let the Philistines come in all you want, and I'll, I'll destroy them just like I did with the jawbone. He got a little too arrogant, and the enemy pressed him a little too much, and there's a moment of weakness where he tells Delilah the source of his strength. Look at verse 17 of chapter 16. 16 chapter 16, verse 17. A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God for my mother's womb. And he's acknowledging, I've been set apart by God since conception. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and like any other man. So he tells her. So as you can imagine, when he's sleeping, she calls in a barber, cuts his hair. The Philistines come in, and she uses the same phrase again. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And this time, his natural strength has left him. The spirit of the Lord does not rush upon him. Instead, he's left in his own strength, and he is wounded. The Philistines come in, and they gouge out his eyes, and then they take him and put him in prison. Samson, who at one time was one of the most feared warriors from among Israel, is now blind, beaten, and imprisoned. He's about to become the joke of the Philistines. And what appears to be true is that the God of the Philistines is bigger than the God of Israel. The Philistines decide to have a party in verse 23. The lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a small sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. This was their God. They had made up a God. It appears as if the God of the Philistines 
is more powerful than the God of Israel. This is a really low moment in the history of Israel. God had set aside Samson to use him to deliver Israel, and Samson continued to give himself away to areas of sin. He ignored the warnings that the enemy was upon him, and now he's blind and getting ready to become the object of of laughter by those that worship a false god. Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. So they're even saying that our God is bigger than the God of Samson's because we have Samson. And when the people saw him, they praised the people, they praised their God. Can you imagine this? What if by you ignoring your weakness, your natural strength blinding you to your weakness, and that taking you where it's going to take you. I mean, that, that little temptation that you ignore that takes you down the path, which is death and sin, can you imagine something happening with your life where other people say, wow, their God is small. This is the kind of thing that happens when you hear stories about a pastor who commits adultery. People that are outside the church look and go, wow, their God must be real powerful, real awesome. Oh, Jesus must really satisfy it. This guy's got to go somewhere other than his wife. But for you, that should scare us, strike fear in us that we would do anything that would cause others to worship a God that was not the God of the Bible and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What is that for you? What's your, what's your blind spot? Verse 25, and their hearts were merry. And they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars. He's blind, mind you. Which the house rests that I may lean against it. The house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there was about 3,000 men and women who looked at Samson. All the while his his hair had actually begun to grow again. And something happened in his heart while he was in prison that he began to turn to the Lord and maybe recognize that his natural strength had blinded him to his real weakness. His weakness being things like women, anger, rejecting his purpose in life and his call. And Samson calls on the Lord. Oh Lord, please remember me. And please strengthen me just this once that I might avenge on the Philistines for what they've done to me. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one side and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and all the people in the house were killed, 3,000 of them. Samson died. But I want you to see that God still accomplished his purpose. And that was to bring destruction to the Philistines so Israel could be freed and begin to worship him freely again. God accomplishes his purpose in spite of our weakness. So there's a few things that we could say here, just in conclusion. One is um, that it's, it's, 
very wise for us to identify our natural strengths. And there's nothing wrong to be being naturally gifted at something. I mean, you're good looking, you're strong, you're athletic, you're smart, you're, you, you get some wisdom, you're, you're um, very disciplined. Whatever those things may be for you, what are they? Identify with those things and then ask yourself the question, how can those things blind me from my weakness? How can those things blind me from my weaknesses? And most of you know what that little weakness is in you. Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it jealousy? What is that little thing in you that continues to creep up again and again to distract you from the Lord and what God's purpose is for your life? What is that thing in you, that little weakness? And do you think for a minute that in your natural strength, you can keep that weakness from destroying you? If you do, wake up. The enemy is upon you. Wake up. The enemy is upon you. And the road that that will lead you down is death and destruction and, God forbid, doing something that other people will look at you and go, oh, what a joke that guy's faith is. You say, what do I do? Well, what you must first do when responding to anything that you feel conviction about is apply the gospel to it. Here's the gospel. The gospel is a story about one who was born that had a purpose, just like Samson. He was set apart for something special. The difference between this one named Jesus and Samson is that this one named Jesus never sinned. He perfectly and completely fulfilled all the commands of God on the way to his death, just like Samson died. This one died. His name is Jesus. The difference is that this one is perfect, which is why we worship him. You see, if Samson, maybe, just maybe, if he'd been set apart in this special way and he had never sinned, he would have been uh, deserving of our worship. But we look at Samson and we learn from him, but we don't worship him. We worship Jesus as God in the flesh, recognizing that he lived a perfect, sinless life. We, we, we deal with our own weakness by, first of all, turning to Jesus and going, oh, you did something I cannot do. This is the good news of the Bible. We don't have to be perfect. We all have weaknesses. So what do we do in the midst of it? We turn to Jesus and we ask God to use the power that raised Christ from the dead, that, that, that is made available to us through our repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we ask God to use that same power to crush and to, to remake the parts of us that are weak. It's called sanctification. It's called the process of us being made holier, being made like Christ. This is what we do. If you first turn your eyes to your weakness, then all you will do is be frustrated because you can't do anything with, about your lust on your own. You can't do anything about your pride on your own, your jealousy on your own. You can't do it. You can't do it. You'll fool yourself into thinking you can, and that would be relying on your natural strength. What we must first do is turn to God and say, God, I need you. I am filled with lust. My eyes wander, or I'm filled with jealousy. I want what everybody else has and covetousness. I'm filled with pride. God, I really think I'm better than most people. I mean, just being honest with God about that kind of stuff. What is it for you? 
That's where you start. You begin to apply the gospel and ask God to, to kill those parts of you so that Christ can live through you. This is what we do. You see, the thing about Jesus is that God had a purpose and God's purpose was accomplished in Jesus and will be accomplished through Jesus. And I want you to know that just as Samson was set apart for something special, every person in this room has been set apart for something special. You've been set apart and God is going to take you somewhere. He wants to do something through you and with you and in you. The question is, Will you look to him for that? Will you embrace your purpose? Or will you allow your natural strengths to blind you from your weakness? If you're in here and you've never turned to Christ, you never truly like acknowledged before God, God, I've got some weakness. And it's, it's, it's played out in me sinning against you. If you've, if you've never done that, then I want you to know that there's good news. And the good news is that that sin that now stands between you and God can be forgiven. And it's forgiven because one came, and his name is Jesus. He died on the cross, and in a mysterious exchange, your sin goes to him and his righteousness goes to you. You can be right before God through your faith in Christ. This is the good news of the Bible, and it's a good news I share. When I said at the beginning that the hard work has been done, that's the hard work I'm talking about. The hard work of dealing with your sin. Dealing with the thing that flushes out in you is weakness. Will you turn to Christ? If you have not done that, then you can do it today. And in fact, I just lead you right now. Would everybody bow your head? If you're in here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, believing that his death on the cross and him being raised from the dead makes a way for your sin to be forgiven and for you to be right before God. And what you might say to God right now is, God, forgive me for my sin. I pray that you begin to work on me, crush the sin in me, erase the sin in me and the weakness, because I want to be used for your purpose. For all those of you that are here that are in Christ, maybe your prayer would be something about like confessing to God what your dirty little secret is. What that thing in you that can be described only as weakness that leads to death, just confessing that to him and just being honest, maybe for the hundredth time, and just asking God to help you apply the gospel to that so that it will be made holy or crushed, whatever so that you can continue marching on in your faith toward the purpose that God has for you in this life.